Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Come on, Robin. To the Batcave. We haven't one moment to lose. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, March 23, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 429 of the Biden-Harris administration, 228 days until the 22 midterms. I'm on Instagram at the Bob Seska or the Bob Seska, and I'm on Twitter at Bob Seska underscore go. Follow me, please. All right. I hope you're holding up okay with the lingering threat of, you know, World War Three, right? Good news is Jackie Schechner is back on the show today. Last time Jackie was here it was October of 2019. Good God. Trump was still president. COVID didn't exist. We didn't have to worry about spreading a deadly virus while buying stupid shit at Costco. Remember those days? So yeah, Jackie's back after a hiatus for work. And I can't wait to get into Trump Russia and how it relates to the war in Ukraine. I think we're also going to talk about Judge Jackson, maybe a bit about our late friend Chez. Stick around. This is a good one. You can follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Schechner. Links in the description, as always. Meantime, think about supporting this show by signing up for our bonus content at BobSeskaShow.com. Okay, hang on tight. Jackie Schechner's here. Bob Seska! What have you been up to? Where the hell have you been? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I was in an undisclosed location that I can't. No, um, I was working for an organization that asked me uh, not to do as much kind of public speaking uh, as I had done. Um, I was allowed to hang on to my Twitter account, yeah, but yeah. Uh, they'd asked me kind of not just not to assume that I was speaking on behalf of the organization. And right, so right. Uh, I laid, I laid low for a while. Um, but now I'm back. Uh, and I am, uh, hopefully fingers crossed digging into a new project, um, that will revisit some of the Trump Russia stuff. Yes. And I totally, I want to get into the Trump Russia thing and especially how it dovetails into the invasion of Ukraine. 
because yeah, I yeah, not an accident. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like everything is, and I hate to sound like the guy standing in front of the map with the push pins and the post-it notes going crazy in a storage space like in True Detective, but it sounds like it's all connected, Jackie. <laughs> it's all there is a of- red string. Yeah, there is that red string. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but before we get into all of that, um, five years since we lost Chez, and I haven't had a I chance know. to talk with you about. It. I mean, you and Chez were very, very close. I mean, how did you handle the anniversary uh, this past February? February 25th would have been five years yeah. since uh, since we lost him. And I felt like going into it, I felt like I was in the process of getting over it. And then, mm-hmm. we, then we hit the date and everything came flooding back. And it was just like, on top of the obvious uh, feelings of loss and so on, the grief that I still experience were losing such a great man. Um, mm-hmm. there was also a part of me that was almost angry because yeah. damn it, we could have used him in the past four or five years. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, he would have been an incredibly powerful voice. He always was, yeah. you know, I, I think about Chez a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stays with me, um, in various ways. He shows up in my thoughts and sometimes in my dreams. And yep. I, I think because, um, we intersected in so many different ways. You know, mm-hmm. we worked together briefly in New York and then in Miami, we were friends that we met for the first time in New York at CNN and then realized we had a lot of people in common and a lot of life in common. And we were in Miami at the same time, um, having both go- grown up down in South Florida mm-hmm. and then um, being out here at the same time. So there are various phases of my life that intersected with Chez. Um, and so there are moments of that, that I relive in various ways. And so he comes up in my thoughts, he's never far from them. Um, but you would, I, I mean, not only did I respect his writing and and how powerful a voice he was, but Mm -hmm. he really just had a way of, of digging into these topics that was unique and, um, and really gave a voice in many ways to those of us who couldn't necessarily find the right words in the moment. Oh yeah. yeah. And then we would reflect back on what he wrote and be like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's where I wanted to go with it. I, there is part of me too, though, that feels like it would have been, I mean, you and I both know that up until the time we lost him, he was starting to feel really overwhelmed Oh yeah, with the state of the world. And I feel like the Trump uh, administration, that tenure would have really upset him mm-hmm. even more so than it already had. Oh, yeah. And oh, part yeah. of me feels like it's sort of nice that he was saved that torture <laughs> because he really would have twisted it himself the knots to try to find some sense of humanity in what was going on at that time and, yeah. and try to put a voice to it in a way that didn't um, that did it justice yeah. um, and, and really brought to light all of the atrocities that, that we all suffered during that time. So I, I'm, I'm so incredibly sad to have lost him. And yet five years on, I look back and say, thank God he was spared the, the five years that we all lived through because oh, I, I just know that his gut would have been turned inside out by a lot of it. There's another side to that too, Jackie. And I completely agree with what you just said. I, I, that was my assumption. That was sort of the thing I was observing in the lead up to his death. And uh, there was that fragility about him Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. he, things affected him more than a lot of us. But at the same time, 
there was something about his personality that uh, cooler big brother. You know, I always referred to him as kind of like the big brother that I never had, the older brother Aww. I never had. And there was something that was stabilizing about that, where I felt like, well, as long as Chez is still around, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, and so that was that's the thing that I'm always trying to reconcile between the f- fragility of his personality and the stability of what he gave to the people around him. There was something about that badass attitude that he had. And he probably would hate me for saying he had a badass attitude, but it was, there was a, no, but he did. And he relished in that. And yeah, he yeah. knew where that came from. And I, and maybe it's a gender thing. And I, I hate to, to be um, stereotypical in that way, but he tended to be a little softer with me <laughs> and he allowed me to see that fragility more often. Um, we we often had in-depth conversations about personal things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was able over the years to see the hurt and the pain in a way that maybe he didn't share with a lot of folks that he wasn't as uh, connected with. I know you mm-hmm. saw a lot of it. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think for whatever reason, he felt comfortable enough to show me uh, some of the pain and 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 some of the the difficulties he was having, uh, especially towards the end. Um, I mean, you and I were both shocked by his passing. I, I don't think anybody expected that. No. Um, but I, I do know that there were issues and problems that he was coping with in a way. And he was, he was open to some extent about them with me. And I'm very grateful for that, to be yeah, able to yeah. see that softer side. And look, I mean, let's be honest, Chez and I got into some trouble too. You know, <laughs> we had our debaucherous moments. Yes. <laughs> And I mean, good trouble, but we had a lot of fun together. I mean, that was one of the things that was so fun about Chaz is that, that, you know, he never judged me and I never judged him. And we could have those, those moments of fun and, 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 and just kind of be um, irresponsible from time to time when we wanted to be. Um, And I love, I love having friends like that, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. that was a good time too. I mean, Chez and I always had a real a lot of fun together. There yeah. was a real depth to our friendship, but we also had a lot of a lot of fun. That's so great that you brought that up because I hadn't really uh, thought about him from that point of view, at least recently, in terms of just how non-judgmental he was. I never got the sense, and of course, because of the nature of my relationship with him, we Mm -hmm. would bust on each other just as uh, brothers would or close friends would, but it never escalated beyond that. I never got Mm -hmm. the sense that he was going around uh, talking out of school behind my back or judging my decisions. He was a loyal friend. He was loyal. I mean, Chess would always say what he thought. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. weren't going to get one thing from Chess publicly and another thing from him privately in terms of being, you know, two faced or backstabbing or anything like that. Right. You may get more in depth privately when there was a vulnerability that maybe he needed a safe space to explore. Mm-hmm. But you weren't going to get a dishonest reaction to something there was right. there was never he was never going to tell you one thing and then say something else when you weren't around that that wasn't who he was no and, and I, also i don't know if people i mean people may know i don't know how well they knew him but he had suffered a, a brain tumor yeah pituitary uh, tumor yeah yeah and that i think gave him also a different outlook on life it was mm-hmm. like there wasn't there wasn't time to be phony there wasn't time to 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 add extra niceties to things you, yeah. you had to be who you were because life could go in an instant. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that experience added another layer to his 
emotion and his ability to be open and honest about how he really felt. Yeah, and the surgery changed his personality to an extent. He was, right. I mean, there were other yeah. medical issues that came along with that and <clears throat> things that he had to normalize and regulate and yeah, yeah, yeah. pay attention to, uh, which, you know, is 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 troubling for anybody who mm-hmm. has to go through some, some kind of medical transformation. There yeah. are always issues that you have to deal with after the fact and things that he didn't really talk about all that much. I mean, I don't think a lot of the people who really enjoyed his work knew he would he would talk about it in his work sometimes. But I think that there were there were other challenges beyond that, that he didn't need to get into the nitty gritty to know that he was struggling from time to time. Yeah. And I always relate to people who didn't know him and, and certainly may not have listened to uh, the podcast that he and I did together or read any of his work or anything like that. And, and the way I relate his loss and the impact that his loss had uh, to those people is when Anthony Bourdain died and how mm, they may have true. felt when Bourdain died because they were, Chez and Anthony Bourdain, I think in, in a lot of ways, uh, were, were cut from the same cloth. And, yeah, and, I can see that, sure. Yeah, they had similar, obviously they were different people with different backgrounds and different frames of reference, but overall in terms of how they saw the world and how they experienced life, I think was very, very similar. And their losses resonated in very, very similar ways. I'll tell you, it sure doesn't feel like it's been five years. I mean, it's, I it's gone by. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I was so buried in everything that was happening in the past administration, but yeah. God, I mean, that that time flew. Oh, I know. Well, what was it like to have COVID? You had COVID recently. <laughs> well, how did it feel? What was that like? Did you freak out when you tested positive? I mean, no, I mean, look, I had been vaccinated and boosted yeah. and I made the conscious decision to go to a nightclub and go dancing. And um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I went with two guys uh, one of them ended up also getting COVID. The other one did not. Oh, my God. Uh, so it really is kind of the luck of the draw. I don't know if you can hear the background noise that's happening here. <laughs> I but can't, but what's going on? I have a cat that's decided <laughs> to play with every toy in the house just as we started recording. <laughs> that's okay. So, yeah, no, it's. I, I'm glad that you can't hear it, but it really is like... <laughs> He somehow just discovered every toy that he's refused to play with over the last year. That's like, stop now, paying attention to the podcast, Jackie. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to me and my toys. That's what yeah, he said. Yeah, but now everything she in the said. house that he wanted nothing to do with is yeah. suddenly interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I went out and, and went dancing. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I got, a, I got what I thought was a cold. Uh, mm-hmm. This was on a Saturday night. And um, and then on Wednesday, I got I got the sniffles uh, and then went Thursday uh, to my weekly therapy session because I'm a firm believer in therapy and mental health and sure. being able to talk out what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and my therapist said she had three people cancel with positive COVID tests and she didn't like the sound of my sniffle and I should go get tested. <laughs> wow. Um, and so I did on that Thursday and my antibody test came back negative and that's the one that they do immediately. Um, so I thought, Oh, you know, it really is just a cold. And then about three hours later, the PCR test came back positive. So hmm. I um, immediately hunkered down and said, okay, I'm going to sit tight for 10 days and um, I was okay. I had a raspy throat and and a little bit of a congestion. Uh, but really, to be honest, within the next 48 hours, I was pretty okay. And I spoke to the uh, LA County Department of Public Health, because if you go to a testing site, they will contact you uh, to do contact tracing and to figure out 
just statistically where you are and, and you know, what they need to know on a county level. Um, and then I talked to my primary care doctor who basically said that it uh, sounded like I was in good shape. And this was, I guess, five days in that he and I connected. And he finally said, now you're in the boredom part of isolation. <laughs> and I said, actually, I don't, I don't really mind. I mean, I've got <laughs> right. a really comfortable house and a couple of cats and I don't have to see people I don't want to talk to. This is not so terrible. So I watched a ton of Netflix and uh, <laughs> I did a lot of chilling uh, and I was okay. And I, and I a hundred percent talked that up to being vaccinated and boosted. I just think it would have been a lot more severe yeah. had I not had uh, that defense mechanism yeah, in my body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, and I, I drove me nuts when people would say like, oh, all these people who got vaccinated and boosted still got COVID. Well, yeah, of course. It's the same as getting a flu shot and still getting the flu. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It just won't be as severe. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't ideal, but I'm glad that I got it uh, when I did. And as and as um, as I would say, mild a case as you could get, mm-hmm. um, there's no lasting effects that I know of. Um, perhaps there's some, something I don't know. Of. Oh, well, that's good <laughs> but, to know because that's the other thing that I always get worried about is long COVID. Yeah. I mean, I guess symptoms, and, you know, I'm tired a lot, but I'm also getting older. So <laughs> just be right, that. Right. but what I'm curious about is what do COVID sniffles sound like? That was your right, doctor's first reaction. Like, Oh my yeah. God, I, those sniffles sound like COVID. You better get tested. Well, what was it? I was congested and okay. that's what it was. Like okay. it was a cold on Wednesday by Thursday. I was raspy and it wasn't that sexy raspy. It was just raspy. <laughs> So she said, I, I just don't like the sound of it. I think you should go. Um, right, right. And, it, and it's good. I mean, look, I saw, I had a friend come over Tuesday night. Now remember I got sniffles on Wednesday and I tested positive Thursday. I had a girlfriend come over and have dinner with me on Tuesday night in my house. We didn't sit, we sat kind of on the couch apart from each other, not for any reason, except just that's the way my couch is set up. Um, but she spent a good three hours in my house. Uh, and then on Wednesday, I uh, saw another good friend of mine at her place mm-hmm. and went to visit a friend who was in a rehabilitation rehabilitation facility. Uh, and so I was worried on Thursday that I then spread COVID to all of these people. Oh, yeah. It turns out that neither of the women that I saw on Wednesday got sick, thank goodness, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. But the girl that was at my house on Tuesday did. And unfortunately for her, <laughs> uh, she then got on a plane to Hawaii, not knowing she was sick, and then tested positive once she got to Hawaii and oh, had to spend no. days in Hawaii, wow. quarantined in her father's bedroom oh. while her father and her husband <laughs> tended to her over the Christmas break. So you better believe that I was apologetic and felt awful every day for the 10 days of her vacation and to her credit she's a really good friend uh and did not blame me in any way um but gosh i mean i just i could not say i'm sorry enough i felt terrible that i had i had gotten her sick and she had to be relegated to one room in the house in hawaii as opposed to being able to really enjoy her family and her christmas Right. Uh, with her family. Well, it seems like we're coming to the light at the end of the tunnel. At least that's the hope. Fingers crossed. Knock on all the wood. What's your takeaway as far as the overall public reaction to dealing with this huge pandemic? The first one that we've had to deal with here at this scale since, you know, 100 years ago. Can we achieve big things in this country anymore, Jackie? No, we handled it miserably. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's. I would say that had we had less divisiveness in this country, um, less desire to politicize everything. 
Um, if the rollout of the response under the previous administration hadn't been absurdly awful, mm-hmm. um, if there had been a competent commander in chief at the time, I, I think we could have gotten infrastructure in place to handle this in, in a better manner. We wouldn't have the states competing against each other for supplies. Yep. We would have had a coordinated federal response. Um, we wouldn't have politicized things like wearing a mask to protect ourselves and others. I, I, I just it's frustrating to me that something such as um, I understand that there's a, a historical hesitation to government vaccines. I get that. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's a lot. And especially in the black community. Sure. Um, I, I understand that. And, and I think that's something that we. Um, we have to address uh, and continue. We had to address and continue to have to address. Um, but I, I think that a lot of the distaste for cooperating was not motivated by that. It was it was because the idea of wearing a mask and protecting others became a political football. Yeah. And yeah. it was unnecessary. It was childish. It was asinine. And it was incredibly frustrating that we could have, like other nations did, locked down perhaps for a shorter period of time had we all complied and gotten through this more quickly. And people have to understand, too, it wasn't just about, like, do I catch COVID? Does somebody I know catch COVID? Am I going to survive it? Like, all of those talking points. Like, yes, it, it wasn't deadly for I would say the the majority of Americans, Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to take it statistically, but we did really very much run the risk of overloading our healthcare system. And that, that was the big concern um, was having too many sick people all at the same time and having our healthcare system completely buried. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what people I think forget in all of this, that it wasn't necessarily, could you survive it? It was, could our healthcare system survive it? Could Mm -hmm. we take care of the people that were all getting sick at the same time with the most severe of symptoms before we had access to a vaccine? And we were losing the most vulnerable of us, um, not just people with comorbidities, but also our elderly, Um, and people who didn't necessarily have access to medical services whose cases of COVID were getting worse because they couldn't get care and treatment. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think it was abysmal in the way that we handled it off the bat. And had we gotten a jump on it earlier, if we didn't have a commander-in-chief who was denying that it was even an issue when he knew for for a fact that it was airborne and and was dangerous, um, if he wasn't lying to the American public, if he wasn't so concerned with showing what a tough guy he was and he was willing to to model good behavior – um, I think we could have gotten a jump on this and gotten through it a lot more quickly. I want to go back to what you said about um, overwhelming hospitals and preventing non-COVID patients from receiving the timely Ugh. care that they needed. Has there been any statistic or any study along those lines in terms of the number of people who became even more sick or their injuries uh, grew worse because they weren't able to treat or be treated right away. And, uh, and some people maybe died in that process of trying to get treatment. And there are lots of anecdotal stories along those lines of people who try to get treatment for an illness or injury couldn't get treatment, ended up dying after being hopscotched from one hospital that was overwhelmed to another hospital that was overwhelmed, finally getting there, getting to a hospital, getting treatment too late. I haven't been able to find any numbers along those lines, Jackie. 
Yeah, I don't know if they have that yet. I would imagine an organization like the Kaiser Family Foundation might eventually have something like that. It would be a good study to do if we could to find out what impact it had, uh, not only on like elective procedures or non-life-threatening surgeries, things that had to be put off um, but, but I would imagine, you know, something like a, a knee replacement isn't probably urgent and immediate. But <laughs> no, you know, no. That sort of thing. I'm not talking about plastic surgery, but right, I'm talking right. about, you know, a surgery. Um, but, but in terms of somebody who suffered a heart attack or a stroke, who couldn't get into an emergency room because it was overloaded with, with COVID patients. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything like that either, but that seems to me like a good study to do. Oh yeah. Um, in time mm-hmm. to figure out what impact our um, botched response to COVID right off the bat had on our healthcare system in general and access to care that would normally be available through emergency rooms or urgent care centers. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It would, it's definitely something that's interesting to study. Yeah, and of course, as you look at the, the initial response to COVID, the botched response from the Trump administration in those early days, especially, uh, and then leading up to this ridiculousness with Liberate Michigan, Liberate Ohio, and all the rest of it that started this process of shirking the rules, shirking mask mandates, shirking vaccine mandates. That was all Trump's doing. And you have to trace <laughs> this back to of course 2016 and vladimir putin so Mm -hmm. that brings us to trump russia which again Mm -hmm. you you have to look at that event the attack on our elections by russia as uh, a crossroads in our national history because it has now echoed and resonated so much with so many other things including this invasion of ukraine You've been looking into uh, Trump Russia, you said, over the past uh, a few months. What have you learned uh, recently that you maybe didn't know before? Well, I knew a lot, uh, for better or worse, because for a couple of years, oh, I yeah. investigaterussia.org, which, by the way, I... I, it's kind of, I love to send people to the site. It's still up investigaterussia.org because oh, it's a really good yeah. archival resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every time I do that, people go to the site and then my server company reaches out to me and says, I owe them more money because the traffic. <laughs> God, I hate so, that. Well, I will. Well, I love people to use it and, yeah. and access it and resource it and uh, use it as a resource because it really is good, a good research tool. Um, I, I, I also sort of look at my wallet and say, <laughs> Can we can can we be not as <laughs> yeah right? Can we, can we not dig in there? Um, Calm down, everybody. It's costing me yeah, a fortune. No, yeah. I I love it. Look, yeah. I I I think it's. I'm very proud of the work that I did there, um, and I think that it holds up. Um, not only as a, a searchable archive, but as a, as a good background. Oh yeah. Um, if you, if you want to know more about how this is all interconnected and who the key players are and what the investigations were, and we ended, we started. Uh, let me think of when that was. I guess we started in 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. and then we ended when the Mueller report came out. Uh, so it was almost a couple of years. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, this is all interconnected. I, I don't think any of this happened by accident. Um, you know, Vladimir Putin saw a, a, a viable asset in Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He's somebody who showed all of the signs of a desire to be an authoritarian. He's somebody who prioritized profits uh, over anything else. He wanted to be he, he wanted to be dictatorial. Uh, he has no interest in preserving democracy. He has no allegiance to this country. Um, and, and he was willing to uh, do the bidding of uh, anybody that he admired who had an authoritarian bend. And I think whether he knew it or not, 
uh, he was a very useful idiot to Vladimir Putin. And what yeah. what Putin asked him to do, he did. And I don't know if if Putin asked him directly. I I, I venture to guess that that's what Helsinki was all about. Um, because if you watch the body language uh, from the first time that you met together uh, in Helsinki, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Trump slumped over and Vladimir Putin cannot stop smiling. So to <laughs> me, there uh, there's a, a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence that perhaps the marching orders were solidified in that moment. Um, but you can look at everything from the Republican Party platform on Ukraine being changed almost um, surreptitiously during the Republican National Convention, where the language was changed from the United States would provide lethal weapons or lethal ammunition to Ukraine in its defense against Russia. And um, the J.D. Gordon and um, isn't it? Yeah, that was J.D. Gordon. I think it was mm-hmm. um, and uh, convinced the Republican Party to change their platform to say uh, necessary aid or something that was much milder yeah. than lethal ammunition or lethal uh, assistance. So I, I that to me, you know, it's all of a sudden the Republican platform on Ukraine is softened. Uh, and it's done kind of quietly, that seems like an arbitrary thing for someone like Donald Trump to pull out of his back pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I understand, it was a shift in his foreign policy position, not that he had any substantive foreign policy <laughs> positions, but it was a shift from something he publicly, adv- publicly advocated in 2015. So that didn't come out of nowhere. When you look at who advised him in his first big foreign policy speech, there were a bunch of Russians in the room. Um he had a bunch of people working on his campaign who either had visited Russia or had ties to Russia or um, who were uh, somehow communicating with Russians. He not only uh, invited, well, he not only accepted the Russian hack uh, into the the DNC and the, they also did hack the RNC. We just didn't see what was gathered, but he not only invited it, but then, or not only accepted it, but then invited the Russians to go out and look for more. Um, There is a tremendous amount of circumstantial evidence that shows that Roger Stone was connected to WikiLeaks and knew for a fact that all of this information was coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not an accident that he has known Paul Manafort and Roger Stone for decades. These are not just men who popped up in his life. Um, He knew them and worked with them, I think in the eighties. It's it all, and he pardoned them all. I mean, they're all criminals and he pardoned them all. Um, And pardoning them has a, goes a long way towards making sure that they don't squeal on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's no accident. I just saw an article today that Paul Manafort was stopped uh, in Miami trying to get on a plane to oh, Dubai. Yeah. yeah, it's been a hard week revoked, for Paul Manafort. <laughs> yeah, with a revoked passport. Yeah. Uh, it's no coincidence that Dubai is providing safe harbor for Russians and their sanctioned assets. Uh, Paul Manafort is now coincidentally trying to get on a plane to Dubai. Uh, you know, I don't think that that's... Just uh, he decided all of a sudden this week to try to vacation in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, to me, that it's all there. Um, yeah, and yeah. there are there are different facets of it. I mean, at the, at the risk of sounding like the person who's running around her apartment with the pictures and the red string, um, <laughs> it, it, it really it really does interconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that that Putin tried to get Trump to do, and he did very well during his tenure, was to demonize NATO um, and and try to uh, make it sound like. Um, NATO wasn't paying dues that actually NATO doesn't owe, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. um, or that somehow we should extract ourselves from NATO, um, which then weakens the West 
and allows Vladimir Putin uh, to do what he's doing now um, with with lesser of an international, a coordinated international response. Right. Um, right. Trump was more than happy to do that. And mm-hmm. he's, he's he was more than happy um, to do Trump's to do, uh, excuse me, Putin's bidding um, in the way that I could imagine that Putin and his allies were asking him to do. I mean, it 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 makes a lot of sense. And when people say, well, why didn't he invade while while oh shoot, I just saw breaking news that Madeleine Albright passed away. Oh no. Oh, that's yeah. horrible. I'm sorry, that just popped up on my computer. Yeah, yeah. Um oh, what a yeah, shame. That's a, real, that's a real loss. Yeah, absolutely. That's and a real loss. God, I mean, talk about a legend at the State Department. Jesus. Yeah, I know. How that horrible. Just, yeah. Okay. We need. I'm sorry. I don't mean to to distract from what we're talking about, but yeah. Um, but no, no, that's important. That's fine. Breaking news coming in as we're speaking. Um, yeah, what a, a legend she is mm-hmm. was. So, I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the in the hours to come. Um, yeah. So I I just to back to what we were talking about um, with with Putin and Trump. There's a, a whole laundry list, and not only that, and and this is what it comes down to is follow the money. I mean, Trump couldn't couldn't get help from any of the banks once he was in bankruptcy. And then Deutsche Bank, which has been actually fined for money laundering, especially Russian money money laundering, um, was the only bank that would lend to Trump. And now mm-hmm. he's heavily indebted. Uh, I would I, I would assume based on the information we have yeah. to the Russian oligarchs who Putin owns. Right. Well, there's nothing more stressful than out of control credit card debt. I've been there myself. The sleepless nights, the panic, the sense of futility. I ended up filing a chapter seven back in the day. I don't mind saying, but you don't have to resort to the nuclear option. All you need is Lightstream. So did you know that refinancing your credit card balances can lower your interest rate and save you money and you don't have to be a financial expert to do it? Here's how. Get a fixed-rate credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream, and you could save thousands in interest. Rates start at 4.98% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. It's lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 19% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees. The application is 100% online, and you can even get your money in your bank account as soon as the day you apply. That's incredible. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's precisely what they're going to deliver. Just for my listeners here, you want to write this down. Apply now and get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Seska. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash C-E-S-C-A. Subject to credit approval, rates range from 4.98% APR to 19.99% APR and include a 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Seska. That's lightstream.com slash Seska for more information. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. More fun! 
Music, the Bob Seska Show. It, it seems uh, confounding to me, Jackie, that Putin would make this move to invade Ukraine. Seems like overreach, given that he essentially, up until the past month or so, he essentially had the West by the short hairs with his cyber operations alone. He could have continued to meddle in uh, disinformation, propaganda on social media and elsewhere. He could have continued to do that with no loss of life, with very minimal expense, at least when compared to a on-the-ground shooting war, why did he decide to squander all of the, in his mind, all of the progress he made with these cyber operations with this ridiculous knee-jerk invasion? It seems like, unless this was part of the plan, unless it was all, and and it seems like it is, like this was the lead-up to it. Yeah, I mean, that would be my argument based on the information that I'm I'm gathering. And I don't you know, there are people who know Putin better than I. Um, but based on what I've read and what I'm learning is that it's not just enough for Putin to destroy democracy inside of Russia yeah. um, and, and to destroy to tr- attempt to destroy democracy in the United States and, and across the West, but also to try to bring Russia back to a state of world superpower the way it was in the days of the Soviet Union. And to do that, he would have to make territorial gains. Mm -hmm. He would have to make land gains. And I think that he perhaps miscalculated um, what he could do in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. Um, but he considers the the, the near territories and nations and and, um, the, the land masses close to Russia, the countries close to Russia within the Soviet sphere of influence, um, the former Soviet republics, mm-hmm. he considered those to be lost, to be regained for him. So he's, he's, those incursions have been long planned. I mean, it, it goes back to his seizing of Crimea in, in 2014. You know, he believes that those are areas that belong to Russia. Um, and I think that he thought that at this point that the West was sufficiently weakened that he could go in and, and take over. I think he um, miscalculated uh, what sort of aid the West would provide. I think he miscalculated the uh, amount of fight in the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian president and um, the power of democracy to to want to protect itself. Um, and I, I I can't even imagine the horror that, that the Ukrainian people are facing yeah. at the moment and, and what it feels like to be there and have to suffer through this. And of course, there are, are parts of me that say, just go in and get rid of Putin. You know, like, let's, let's just put an end to this madness. Yeah. And I know for diplomatic reasons and, and not wanting to start the Third World War, there are delicate measures that we have to take mm-hmm. in, in how we handle this. Um, but I think that he thought it was now time to try to take Ukraine and to start to expand his his sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he miscalculated. Um, but I, I do think this was all part of the plan. I think he felt like eventually he could make this incursion and he could take over this landmass, knowing that uh, we we had to be careful in how we uh, approached our our. Um, how we approach this because we don't want to start a world war, right? Because we are a nuclear power because he does have access to nuclear weapons. I, I, as I watch this and I, you know, you watch in horror with the destruction and devastation, I do worry about chemical attacks and I do Mm -hmm. worry um, about biological warfare. And I, I I worry about those things. um, But I have to hope that, that, that those who know, international relations a little bit better than I have a plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you have to at least hope. 
Um, but I, I don't think this was accidental by any stretch. I don't think, I mean, he's, look, he's a maniac. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know he has socio, uh, sociopathic and narcissistic tendencies, and I sure. don't think loss of life matters all that much to him. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that he thinks that this is an, an attempt to get back the landmass that the Soviet Union had and, and parts of it. Uh, and if he can get Ukraine and then he can go into other neighboring countries, I, I think that this is an attempt to make that that grab. How pissed off do you think Putin is at Donald Trump for losing in 2020? I think he, yeah. I, I, I think Putin legitimately needed Donald Trump to win re-election. That's why we see the invasion happening now in early 2022, because I think on Putin's timeline, at least as far as his strategy went, and maybe I'm thinking too deeply into it here, but I think what he was hoping for is a second Trump term. Trump had already announced, I think, to both Mark Esper and John Bolton that he was going to withdraw from NATO in his second mm. term. So let's mm. say Putin, let's say Donald Trump, <laughs> sorry, uh, Donald Trump gets re-elected elected in 2020, uh, withdraws from NATO in 2021, Putin invades Ukraine in 2022, right on schedule, without that unifying United mm -hmm. States presence, without uh, uh, United States as part of NATO, suddenly it's an entirely different ballgame. But now, because there's no Donald Trump, you have this unified world response to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And you have this, obviously, the sanctions regime. You have corporations lining up. You have a rock solid NATO. Uh, he's got to be pissed off at Donald Trump. And I, and I hate to get too deeply into that rabbit hole. But why doesn't he punish Donald Trump? I want to see some of the crap, some of the compromat that he's got on Donald Trump as kind of like, whoops, I accidentally let this slip into public view. Um, he might. I mean, I, there's still time. I, yeah. I, um, I, I would imagine that depending on what happens uh, with the war and how crippled Putin is uh, coming out of this, yeah. um, that it's entirely possible. I mean, we do have, you know, unfortunately, another electoral, you know, we'll have midterm elections and then we'll have mm -hmm. another presidential election coming up. And I don't know who the front runner is on the Democratic side. And it'll be interesting to see who emerges. Um, but it's it's entirely possible. I mean, we're still incredibly fractured nation. Yeah. And there is still... Uh, a sense of, uh, or still a threat of uh, authoritarianism, and um, we're 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 really kind of still in dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. um, and I I think that uh, what Putin wanted was a, a real divided nation, and we're we're there. I mean, he did get what he wanted in that regard, yeah. and so I I think that it's it's very tenuous. You know, I I've been doing a lot of of reading. Um, I joke with people. We started, uh, my girlfriends and I started a uh, kind of an anti-racist book club is the best way to describe it. Uh, nice. When, when uh, some of the uh, George Floyd, uh, when George Floyd's murder happened and, and the nation started to pay closer attention to systemic racism in a whole. And I, and I goof that, you know, that's what white girls do, right? We started a book club. Um, <laughs> it's not lost on me. And I, and I don't, I don't pretend that we're solving the world's crisis through our book club, but but we are learning and, and we're trying to grow and um, we're, we're trying to make sure that we can do our part to, to be better educated on how to fight uh, racism and, and systemic racism in this country. And one of the we're reading right now, we're reading Cast, um, which is an excellent book and I, I highly recommend. Um, and I always say that the people who should be reading it are not the people that are reading it, unfortunately. Um, but one of the things it talks about is the the similarities in um, how uh, the the how the Nazis, uh, kind of how they, they tried to formulate how they were going to, uh, subjugate Jews 
and, and how the United States treated black people. Um, and, and that the Nazis kind of looked at that as a, a way to formulate their response wow. to the Jewish population, that we were so terrible to black people in this country that, that, that the Nazis looked at us as a, as an outline, <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. um, yep. you know, there's, it, it's really awful, but, but one of the things that it's, it talks about, um, you know, I've studied the Holocaust through college and, and otherwise as, as being Jewish myself and having learned about it through Hebrew school and, and so forth, um, is that there are signs in our country now um, that very much echo Hitler's rise to power. And when people say, you know, you make Nazi comparisons and you're overreacting, I, I actually don't think so. I, you know, I think that the authoritarian bend, the, the desire to um, appeal to the disgruntled and the, um, the uh, I'm going to say uneducated, because that's, that's really derogatory, but Poor, the- Poorly the educated. Under, the undereducated, right. um, you know, the and and the ignorant in some ways to be able to try to to gin up that anger, um, to try to scapegoat, and I, and I think we've seen it in terms of um, you know trying to somehow put Black Lives Matter in the same bucket as Antifa, as as somehow there's a a radical element on the left mm-hmm. that's that's worth you know coming out and and, and fighting against and and demonizing uh, minorities in this country. Um, I, I, I see it and I yeah. see that it's a very slippery, slippery slope to authoritarianism. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you see people talking about liberals and Democrats and, and really trying to demonize uh, people uh, who they don't really know all that much about. They mm-hmm. just live in this kind of echo chamber of Fox News and Newsmax and OANN, and they just amplify their own disinformation over and over again. Um, so I, I, I really do fear uh, for the groundwork that's been laid. I mean, they said Hitler never really garnered, he, ne- he never got over 40%. Yeah. And that's kind of where Trump is. So you don't have to necessarily have a majority of the vote. You have to have enough of a base that you fear, that you strike fear in the party, which is exactly what Trump's done with the GOP. The mm-hmm. Republicans have become the party of Trump. So even though you may not have a majority of Republican voters, you do have enough Republicans who are afraid of the Trump minority that they're willing to do his bidding in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that makes me afraid. And I think that, that Putin in that way has laid the groundwork um, for the possibility of another Trump like term. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I don't know that we come back from that. Yeah. And the thing that is most discouraging to me, Jackie, and this can kind of apply not just to Trump, Russia, not just to uh, uh, Putin's uh, cyber operations that we've seen. Uh, Certainly, you can apply it to the response to COVID. My biggest takeaway from all of this is not necessarily that we've got a lot of stupid people in this country, which we have quite a few. But Mm -hmm. my bigger concern is the gullibility of so many Americans, that we were so softened up and ready Mm -hmm. to accept this endless disinformation campaign from Vladimir Putin on Facebook and so on. There are just a lot of people who are willing to buy absolute horseshit. I mean, in precise terms, a lot of suckers. (laughs) Quite a few suckers in this country. Vladimir Putin Putin exposed that. Yeah, Putin manipulated democracy and he manipulated our freedom of speech. And he said, okay, you know, anything goes, so we're going to throw everything out there. And it's it's dangerous in that we don't have 
a common set of facts anymore. Yeah. And there's no way to get through. And that's what's challenging is that when you, I'm happy always. And I say this on Twitter and elsewhere on social media, when I interact with other people, I am more than happy to have an intelligent debate about the way that we approach issues in this country. Mm-hmm. I am more than happy to talk to you about why I believe our healthcare system could be a certain way or should be a certain way. And I'm happy to listen to your point of view on your conservative values and and what you believe. Like I, I'm happy to do that in an intelligent way, but we have to agree on a set of common facts. And when you lose that, you lose the opportunity to have intelligent debates. I mean, if you look now, let's, let's, let's take, for example, the Supreme court hearings that are going on right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, God bless <laughs> Judge Jackson and yeah. her ability to to stay calm because I would have told these men to go f themselves a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. um, Yep. I mean, do you honestly think that this woman who's a mother of two is going to be soft on pedophiles and child pornography? I mean, that's <laughs> the best you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the dog whistle of saying that somehow Democrats didn't want a conservative black woman on the court, but they're more than happy to to celebrate a, a liberal. I mean, like all black women are the same and they just wanted it to be a Democratic black woman. I mean, it's 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 insulting and offensive. It's it's poorly veiled racism. Um, the way that they're treating her, the way that they're they're asking her to answer questions and then saying things like, well, that's not hard to answer. And yeah. you know, she's not she's not stupid. And the fact that she's at this point, I don't know how much of the hearings that you've watched, but at this point where they're asking her questions that are well out of um, the realm of anything that a judge should should be involved with or have to know. Yeah. Um, It's, it's extraordinarily offensive um, on every level. And she's having to school them uh, on what is her responsibility and what is the responsibility of the legislative branch. I mean, saying things like that is actually in, in Congress's bucket, not mine. Uh, You know, and and (laughs) I'll stay in my lane is, Mm -hmm. is, is over and over again. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, members of Congress should actually study up on what their job is and she shouldn't, you know, Judge Ketanji Jackson uh, Brown shouldn't have to Brown Jackson, right? I got that right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Apologies. Um, (laughs) Should not have to explain to them uh, what her job is versus what their job is. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but even something is that, I mean, we've gotten to the point where, where we've entered this echo chamber of of nonsense yeah oh yeah um, and, and you can't correct it and and it's so infuriating and frustrating you know her 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 sentencing the sentencing that she passed down on these cases that they keep referencing on pedophilia and child pornography is exactly in line with many 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 other jurists like she is not out of out of line but if you listen to right-wing media you'd think that somehow she was welcoming child pornographers into her home i mean it's <laughs> it's Oh yeah. And they're, they're basically just yelling the N word at her at this point. You you mentioned dog whistles. Every time they mention CRT, every time they mention the word woke in their vernacular, these are dog whistles. This is like Mm -hmm. Lee Atwater talking about forced busing and welfare Queens and things like that. This is coded language for the racist base, which the Republican party desperately needs as it's Yeah, She's on the board of Georgetown day school, which is a private school. And she's somehow responsible for the, text in a book that talks about racism being systemic and taught and 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 in particular i mean i think the one thing that struck me is is one of the things that that i've learned and and you know why it's offensive to say i don't see color 
right? When people say like, oh, I don't see color. That's actually offensive because there's a long history of um, our nation subjugating black people because of the color of their skin. Yeah. Um, so when you say you don't see color, you're you're essentially negating um, the history of, of black people in this country. And you just have to do kind of a basic reading uh, to learn why that's offensive. Mm -hmm. And for Ted Cruz to sit up there yesterday and read from a textbook and explain, you know, to, to, to a black woman, you know, do you believe that it's okay to say, you know, what, why is it not okay to say you don't see color or do you believe whatever it was that he said, it was, it was incredibly offensive yeah, and to yeah. ask her to sit there and, and to somehow explain to this, uh, this to this white man <laughs> right. that a, I didn't write the book. Uh, and B, what you're saying is is racist and offensive. Uh, it, it is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I, I just it's it's awful, and it's happening by members of the Senate, and it's it's happening. This woman has to sit there and be gracious about it. And you know, I did see someone on Twitter on Twitter that said that you know this is incredibly triggering in a way that unless you're a black woman, you don't understand. Um, and I think she's right. Yeah. I, I as offended as I am, I cannot even imagine how hurtful and offensive this line of questioning is to, to black people everywhere, not just black women, but black people in general. Well, what they're doing is the, the cynical cash grab continues. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. they're, they're engaged in that. They know where their bread is buttered. They know where the money is coming from. They know where the votes are coming from. So they continue to tweak that demographic. And uh, that's on full display in the Senate Judiciary Committee right now, happening right now. Yeah. And um, no matter how many charts you hold up showing how qualified she is, yeah. No matter how many times you talk about, you know, her her education, her experience, I, all of it, and none of it seems to sink in. Mm -hmm. You know, they they don't they they don't care. So when when you are in the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter universe and right wing nonsense, and it goes on and on and on, and all you're getting, all the information you're getting is coming from these same sources, and they're just an echo chamber. You're you're never going to hear the truth, and yeah. you just believe what you believe, and you put your e fingers in your ears, and you go la 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 la. And <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any good. You can't mm. even have an intelligent conversation with anybody anymore. No, no. Uh, you know what? We have uh, just a couple minutes left, so I want to ask you one last question. Going back to Trump Russia, real quick. What do you make of Oleg Deripaska and several other oligarchs lining up against Putin's invasion. They, I mean, almost right away, they lined up and said, "Hey, no, we don't like this. What's going on? Why is he doing this?" Um, you know, I I don't know. Um, I I think it's dangerous for them because Putin has a way of making people disappear. <laughs> yeah. Um, the hope is that there'll be enough pressure mm -hmm. uh, internally. Uh, that he'll find a way to get out and save face. But I, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, yeah. you know, people love their money. Russian oligarchs love their money. Mm -hmm. uh, and Putin's one man. He's a powerful man, uh, but he's only one man. So I did see today that is his, uh, some, I think it was his climate advisor or somebody stepped down and left Russia. But, you know, you got to leave Russia, change your name, your yeah. fingerprints, your identity, go under the witness protection. <laughs> oh I mean, God. you got to be, you got to be super careful uh, when you, when you, go against Putin. Um, you know, my, my hope is that there is some internal pressure because I think that's the only way it's going to happen. Um, but ultimately, I mean, Putin still is in control and until he's not in control anymore, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what can be done. Um, do you think that ever know. crosses Trump's mind or even of some of Trump's boys that, that if they cross Vladimir Putin, if they say one thing that is offensive to Putin, that they might be killed by Putin. Because Donald Trump at his core is a coward. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 
It's, I suppose it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, I don't know how, how deep the well is of thought there. Um, <laughs> I feel, I feel like I feel like collectively they're all a kiddie pool. Um, you know, <laughs> That's I don't, true. Good point. <laughs> I don't. I don't really know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, Eric Trump came out and said that you know Putin didn't invade Ukraine because he was afraid of Trump because he knew how strong Trump. I mean, it's, it's yeah. It's, Which how do you explain Zelensky then? Zelensky has been stronger than anybody up to yeah, this point, uh, and he's still God. on the run. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of negates Eric Trump's ridiculous strength argument. Yeah, but I mean, look at the strength of character for Zelensky to stand up and, and yeah, you know, yeah. he's like, I don't need a ride out of here. I just need more help. <laughs> That's right. uh, Trump would have been on the first jet out. Mm-hmm. He oh, you know, my God. The, yeah. He hid in the bunker during the Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, talk about <laughs> Thank talk you. about cowardice. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I, I I have that pumped into my veins about once a day. So thank yeah. you. Well, it's so great to have you back on the show, Jackie. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I know I was kind of out of the realm for a while, so I'm excited that people are willing to give me a shot to step up and speak my mind again. It's uh, it's a it's a relief. Otherwise, it just sticks in my head and then my head explodes. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's so much more to talk about, so I got to have you back on soon. Uh, where can folks uh, follow your work? Meantime, uh, I'm always on Twitter. I I can't, you know, I can't quit you. I wish I could quit you, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> I know how you feel. So yeah, I'm always on Twitter at, at Jackie Schechner. Um, and I will say for those of you who like cats, um, <laughs> my Instagram is is also at Jackie Schechner, and and it's all cats. Okay, it's, it's occasionally a picture of me and some of my cute friends, but mostly it's cats. <laughs> so if you're into cats. Um, and you need a break from your day, uh, you're more than welcome to check out my Instagram at at Jackie Schechner. But, right. but Twitter's the smart stuff. Great. Instagram's just cats. Well, I'll put links in the description under this episode of bobseska.com. Thank you so much, my friend. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bob. I love talking to you. It's always so much fun. I'm so looking forward to next time. Take care. You got it, babe. Bye-bye. I drove into the city. We had it big that night downtown. Six months on the road now I was feeling